Hi, Wine Delusters. In this episode, I'm speaking to the founder of the non-alcoholic drinks brand, Altina. Welcome to the Wine Delust podcast. My name's Janine. In this season, I'm speaking to a dozen very impressive women that work in the wine and broader hospitality and tourism industry. Each episode will focus on one particular job and we'll learn what skills you need, the best parts of the work and the most challenging parts. So pour yourself a glass and let's get started. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Christina DeLay. Christina and her partner, Alan, aim to make a change in the Aussie drinking culture and were really on the forefront of non-alcoholic and sober curious movement. They established their non-alcoholic wine, Altina. I visited her at home when her second son was just eight weeks old. As you'll hear, starting your own business, you need to be across all parts of the business and there's so much involved with the development, production, distribution and marketing. This is such a great success story and it's still growing. Welcome, Christina. Well, thank you very much, Christina, for meeting me today and coming to the Wine to Lust podcast. My pleasure. Um, so, Christina, you're the co-founder of Altina Drinks, and it's a non-alcoholic drink yeah. founded in Canberra. Can you tell us all about how it came about? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my partner Alan and I were working in consulting at the time. So, I was in um, IT consulting, and Alan was in finance consulting, and we really were quite ingrained in the boozy culture of those industries, let's just say. I started to get some health issues and had to really explore what I was eating and drinking and found that alcohol was a major trigger for my IBS. Um, we then sort of went down this path of realising that there was really nothing no. out there for socialising. Mm. It made um, you know, all of those social occasions really... Hard, harder than they should have yeah. been and awkward and not as enjoyable especially when we used to enjoy you know a beautiful bold Shiraz with a nice meal or Alan used to love the craft beers and exploring all of those different flavors and things so we really wanted to recreate the experience of flavor and enjoyment and um, the ritual of drinking but we couldn't find anything that did that and so I've got a background in plant biology yeah. and uh, chemistry Jokingly, uh, one of my workmates said, you've got the perfect background for uh, starting a meth lab in your, <laughs> in your kitchen. And I was like, well, yes, but also... <laughs> no, dreams, yes. But also, I've um, got this little problem with the uh, what to drink. Um, and, and I think at that point, there was nothing really on the market. Um, I think Seed Lip, the non-alcoholic gin, had sort of just launched overseas yeah, somewhere. How long have you guys been around? It's been... A few years now, it's isn't it? It's been a while, yeah. yeah. So this was back in um, end of 2017, start of 2018. And we started exploring the idea a lot more and talking to people. And, you know, nobody really talks about not wanting to drink when mm. they're socialising. There's quite a lot of social pressure around drinking. I think it's changing. I think you're really at the yeah. forefront there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we found. The more we share our stories, the more people go, you know what, I totally agree. Like, if I go out on a Wednesday, I really don't want the wine, but I want to be part of the Social, occasion yeah. and the atmosphere. And I want to enjoy, you know, sometimes I want to enjoy a nice wine with a meal or something. So that's what really um, inspired us. And we really wanted to make a change in the Aussie drinking culture. And so we've sort of ingrained that 
that social change in the way we do business as well is a really fundamental part of our Tina. So we went, um, I did sort of build a lab in my kitchen uh, <laughs> and started experimenting with different methods to um, extract flavors from beautiful botanical ingredients um, and found some really different processes um, and sort of went from there into building building drinks and um, figuring out how to recreate the complexity and the depth without needing the alcohol, which is a lot more challenging yeah. than, um, than we initially naively thought. I guess luck- luckily we were a little bit naive, otherwise we probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> That's, I was going to ask you, what do you wish people had told you before you started? Like what would you have thought would have been helpful or maybe not helpful because you might not have gone down that route if you thought it was going to be too difficult? Or... Yeah, I mean, I think um, the things that really helped us at the start, we really, we were sort of fed up with our corporate jobs and we really were both super passionate about wanting to do something that could have a positive impact on the community. And so we were kind of, you know, looking for what those opportunities might be. And when we sort of started building this idea, we thought, yeah, this, you know, this, this could work. I guess in terms of what I wish people would have told us, um, I think, you know, if we would have done things differently or, or been told, you know, how hard it was, we might not have done it. But I think what really helped us and what was nurtured within our community was like that sense of curiosity, that sense of um, wanting to figure things out and test things and learn and get feedback from people. And those were all pivotal to starting the business was really building it, not just for us, but together with a community of people who were really interested in the idea and the product. And so we did that through a crowdfunding campaign to, to oh, kick off the business, yep. which to this day I think has really helped wow. the way we approach the new product development, problem solving within the business, all those sorts of things because we do have quite a close connection with our community. Um, that's what I think is the interesting thing when you start your own business, isn't it, that there's you think it's about one thing, like I started Wine Delos, it was going to be about a wine events, you're making a drink, but there's so many other aspects to it. For you, it was more complex with the product development, but then it's the whole marketing mm. and then distribution mm. and which parts of the business is your favorite and which ones <laughs> are the harder parts? Yeah, well, I mean, that's maybe something I wish somebody would have told us um, all the different things that we would have to be, um, that we were completely unprepared for, and particularly going into a new industry. Yeah. Um, I think seeking out a mentor in perhaps that industry could have been really helpful for us and, and saved us from learning by doing and making mistakes, really. Yeah, like you learn from your mistakes, don't you? So yeah, Very much so, yeah. yeah. So in terms of all those different parts of, of the business, um, obviously when you first start, it's, it's just you and, and luckily, you know, it's, it was me and Alan, so we could sort of divvy things up. So I, I quit my job first um, and he stayed on with his job for another six months or so. From the very beginning, we pretty clearly de- delineated our roles mm. based on our skills. And I think that had, that's been really, really helpful because we often find when there's co-founders, it can be quite challenging, yeah. um, particularly when you're also life partners. Um, but we really made sure we split those tasks according to our interests and our strengths. So um, mine were obviously in the product development. Um, at that point, we were making all of the drinks ourselves. So we had um, a little corner of somebody else's distillery and we were doing all of the production and um, you know all the, all the things that go along with that. Um, sourcing ingredients, logistics, getting them from A to B, all of those um, fun Mm. things, Um, as well as, I guess, the sort of general 
running of the business was was on my side and then Alan he's got the background in um in economics and finance so that was very natural for him mm. um but he also uh, found that he had a very natural talent for sales and so he he's now our commercial director and takes care of all of those face-to-face b2b sales and for me my role has evolved now that we've grown so much it's evolved from the 90% of spending about 90% of my time cleaning um, in terms of the production to um, outsourcing the production part and really focusing on where my skills lie. So the new product development, and then we've brought our e-commerce, we've really grown our e-commerce side of things. Um, something that I didn't have any real training or skills in, but I found that I really love that oh, e-commerce side of things. Um, the marketing, again, didn't really think that that was where I would end up but I think it's a really nice mix of sort of science brain and creativity and um, I find that really enjoyable um, and of course you know the feedback you get always, yeah, <laughs> always well, helps I, a lot. And the packaging and everything looks beautiful so you've done a very good job with all of that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so you've got at least three different ones because I know that I've got my relatives coming over that don't drink wine so I've bought the mixed pack just recently at the market <laughs> and um, it has like a sangria a rosé and there was a third one uh, a white a white bubbles yeah, yeah. so um, our current range that's available is all sparkling so as you say perfect the white, the for rose, the summer sangria, yeah. yeah perfect for summer um, really really sort of they've all got different personalities or occasions associated with them so obviously the sangria is really nice and festive and fun um the rosé is sort of really easy drinking and relaxed and then the leblanc is great for sort of celebrations or toasts or we might normally um, have a glass of champagne for example so um, that's our current range and we've been working really hard on a an exciting new range um, of still wines which Mm. will um, be launching imminently um, which is Fantastic. also really exciting. And um, when you make these, mm. is it similar to wine and like barrels or tank ferments and things like that? Or is it different because you're, are you using grapes or what? Yeah, so we've, we've kind of come a bit of a, a journey as to what that product is. So our initial products were um, not grape based mm. at all. So um, it was a blend of botanicals and sort of natural dried ingredients. And we extract different flavors and blend them together. But we launched the Sangria, which it does actually have a wine base. And so that's actually made like a regular alcoholic wine would be made. Yeah. Um, we then really gently remove the alcohol using spinning cone technology. And then we sort of overlay on that the expertise we have in the botanicals and oh, the blending. Right. So where other non-alcoholic wines sort of just add a sugar or a grape juice to the de-alcoholized wine, we add those beautiful botanicals and it really gives it that sense of depth and complexity um, that you don't get in other non-alc wines um, without adding the sugar and the juices. So it's a really, um, our products are really quite dry, very, quite complex and really coming from that, the, the roots we had where we wanted to recreate the wine experience. I love how you talk about the depth because I think that that's mm. the thing I have noticed with the some of the non-alcoholic wines that I have tried is that it just doesn't have that. They seem yeah. quite lean. So yeah. um, I've tried your rosé. I enjoyed that. So I'm looking forward to trying the sangria and the Leblanc now. So yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> so um, there's you and Alan. Do you have much of a, a team in your business or is it just you guys? For us, COVID did present sort of a, a huge challenge and then a big opportunity. Mm. So originally we were very heavily based on um, events and, and B2B, so 
supplying to restaurants and retail. Obviously, COVID sort of changed that quite a lot and we brought our e-commerce online. Um, and with that, things just took off really quickly. So we had to scale up really quickly during that time. Um, so we did end up needing to bring on team members just to be able to keep up with the demand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we now do have a team of six as well as our sort of, I call them our virtual team. So our, our contract manufacturer, our production team, who we work really closely with. And um, I've also brought in some help on the product development side of things just to make sure we're creating products that we can scale up and, and, um, so it's a growing company still. Yes, definitely still growing. <clears throat> um, I feel like we've sort of only just scratched the surface and we're really just finding our groove now. Like we've got a really strong product offering, but we know our, we also really know our customer. We know where we sit in the market. We know sort of which suppliers to target and all of those things. I think that's just sort of come in the last year or so that we've really gotten really clear and focused on those things. So when you were starting, Altina, how long did you think it took before you realised you had a great product? I guess having that um, community of your investors, they would have been on board to help you make those decisions? or Yeah, well, it was, it was definitely a, a sort of community-first approach. So we launched our crowdfunding campaign. We actually didn't have a product. At that point, I actually didn't know what the product really was, aside from, you know, these are the things I want it to be. Yeah. Um, and so these people like these wonderful people all put their faith in Alan and I and the idea. And so that gave us kind of a really great opportunity though, to um, develop the product in consultation and, and get the feedback from people. So when we first launched, um, I think we had five different drinks and, you know, at that point we, we put one in bottles and we sort of tested the rest and mm-hmm. we went, at our launch party, we tested it with all of our crowdfunding supporters, go to the markets and, and get feedback there. And so I think that really shaped the way we developed products. So our first product in bottles was the, the White Bubbles, the LeBlanc. Our next one that we released was the Rosé. And so we found that that one was sort of an instant hit because we were just talking directly with our customers while we were developing it, essentially. Like I'd be in the lab making up a batch on a Friday for the markets on Saturday and then we'd get the feedback and we'd do tweaks and things. And so um, we found that such a valuable way of doing product development because it means you are addressing exactly what people I think that's so excellent to get the feedback and Mm. it's so brave though because sometimes feedback is could be hard to receive but I guess if you're trying to make that perfect like that fantastic product that's so important to to get um did you find it hard at first getting Altina into restaurants and bars oh yeah yeah because I think now it would be easier because I think people are looking for that option but I think three or four years ago that would have been a bit more challenging Yeah. yeah that was a huge challenge so back then there were no real non-alc alternatives. There mm. were, you know, if you'd go out, you'd have a soft drink. Like without yes. doubt, or your option was a soft or drink something. or a juice, mm. like a mocktail of like orange juice and apple juice mm. with an umbrella in it or mm. something. Or my go-to was sparkling water with lime, which is really boring. Um, so nowadays, you know, what is it, four, four and a half years down the, the track, there are sort of brands popping up every day in this space. Back then, people you know, retail, hospitality, they were going, nobody wants this. We don't, 
you know, we're not going to take a risk on something that our customers don't want. Mm. And so we did do quite a bit of work in that space and we ended up doing a research project with the City Renewal Authority, um, just trying to bridge that gap between venue managers and retailers and customers because we surveyed a bunch of customers and they said, this, we want this, yeah. we want a non-alcohol option. And we surveyed a bunch of um, businesses and they said, customers never tell us that we want it. Um, and so I think that sort of goes hand in hand with the stigma around the non-alc space. It, yeah. it wasn't typically something that was very desirable. People would not ask for it because they didn't want to be that person, yeah. <laughs> um, essentially. So yeah, that was really challenging because we were essentially, we, we were working in a brand new space having to educate not only the customers, but the, I guess, the gatekeepers, the, the businesses that sell on sale to customers. And so that's where Alan sort of really had that trial by fire. with. Yeah. Um, and that was like sales and education, isn't yeah. it? Like it's more than just a sales job. You have to really kind of try and educate and change. Absolutely. Be very persuasive. Yeah. 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 And, and really just, um, you know, it's great in Canberra. We have a really good local community and, and people are really passionate about supporting local business, which has really helped us. Um, and so oftentimes I think it was that fact. We were a local Canberra business yes. and, and they sort of just gave us a go. And, you know, with that, without those people taking a risk on us early on, we wouldn't be here. So we're always so grateful for those, you know, initial stockers who came on board. And, you know, there's still a huge piece of education now. Yes. Um, Alan still runs into that problem every single day. But we kind of think of it, it's the same as sort of gluten-free or, or vegetarian and vegan meals, right? 10 years ago, you would never get a gluten-free meal on a menu. Yeah. And now you've got often sort of a whole section dedicated to it on a menu, or at least it's very well signposted and and understood that this is something that customers really want. So I feel like we're we're on that similar sort of journey and path and we'll get there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and is it expanded across mm. Australia? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, in July last year, we sort of got our first bigger stockist outside of Canberra um, with a national a national stockist. So we got into Dan Murphy's then. And oh, that, great, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're available in selected Dan stores and that sort of, it was the start of us expanding out. We had planned to do it a bit earlier, but obviously given all the lockdowns and things, it just yeah. wasn't, wasn't feasible. Um, but yeah, we're now in, um, I think, close to 400 stockists around the country. Um, and we do have a staff member in Sydney and also in Melbourne, so just expanding the team in those locations. Wow, congratulations. So, That's yeah. so fantastic. That's great. <laughs> it is. It's a journey, and it's, you know, again, a whole different yeah. whole different learning process and skill set bringing those staff on, and, you know, we are working remotely, um, and so making sure that we are creating that team environment and, and, and all of those supports. So they do sales in those states, do they? Yeah, yeah. So we've got a sales manager in Sydney, and we've got a, um, a brand and merchandising um staff member in, in Melbourne. Wow. Yeah. I know that you had a brand new baby, but I, you've also got a, a little toddler as well. So how's um, juggling motherhood with having your own business? Look, it's challenging, especially with, with our first three years ago when we, you know, we essentially had a, a baby business, a brand new business yeah. um, and a, a newborn. And there were many times where the poor thing, he was in a, in a pram in the corner of the production <laughs> facility uh, with all the noise going on and I'm going, sleep, <laughs> sleep. Like, he must be a good sleeper. <laughs> yeah, not a good sleeper. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we've sort of come a long way from that and in a lot of ways I feel like now, you know, I've got an eight-week-old, 
that sort of really forced me in a good way into sort of setting up all of the systems and processes that we needed because I wanted to make sure this time I was able to take that time off and really um, uh, enjoy those first yeah. first few months. Um, and so that's been a really good journey to to be able to be able to take a step back. I will tell you, I'm not very good at it. Um, <laughs> I'm actually seeing it much more as we're able to. We've got systems in place. We've got the business, and you know, we're still growing really fast, but it's in a really solid place. Um, that we can take a little bit more flexibility. So, I mean, we still work more hours than we would if we were sort of full-time employees, but we can work them when we when we want to. Yeah. So, you know, it's great for, for me. I can take the mornings off, for instance, and then work a little bit later. So, no, not going to lie, it's challenging. Yeah. Oh, I think you're doing a wonderful job. So, <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to share with people that might be thinking about either starting a new product or starting their own business or... Yeah. I think the advice that I always really love is sort of you need to fall in love with not the solution, but the problem that you're trying to solve. So that's where we really started with this mindset of we wanted to create an alternative or to change that, the socializing and the the culture around socializing. And so, you know, you could have you could have become an advocacy organization. Mm. You've done all these different things. We could have um, made a made a gin or a beer or a wine, and and there were so many possibilities. And I think, you know, having that problem at the heart, we were able to test different things and really figure out what the right solution is and what we could bring to the table as well. So really leveraging our skill sets and using them to our advantage in business, but. I think there's def- it's definitely hard, but it's it's also worth it, you know, when you see that you're able to then make the change that you set out to in- to make. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Christina. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> For everything discussed today, please check the show notes or head over to windelust.com.au. And also a big thank you to the ACT Government Office for Women for supporting this series. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. You can also check out this podcast on YouTube and see pictures of the region and the people I've spoken to. Go to windelust.com.au. That's W-I-N-E-D-E-R-L-U-S-T.com.au for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to hear all about my upcoming events and other news. Till next time, happy wine travels.